Interested in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by American Note Buyers. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. Hey, hey, Internet. This is episode number 19 on season five of the Be The Bank podcast brought to you by American Note Buyers. I am Justin Bogard. Today, we're going to be discussing kind of activity versus passivity in the real estate note sector. And we'll have Mr. Richard Thornton on to help us through that conversation today. So stay tuned. That logo never gets old, does it, Richard? No, I like it. I, you know, w- when uh, our graphic artist came up with that was out of the five uh, he or she gave us, that was the the definite winner. That's pretty cool. If you guys would like to see what we're talking about, um, every time we record our podcast, we also record the video stream of it as well on our YouTube channel. So if you go to the American Note Buyers YouTube channel, you can check that out on episode number nineteen of season five. And so it's just a little animation, like Richard said. And it kind of makes some transition and it turns into our logo at the last minute. So it looks pretty cool. They call it the architectural view. So they draw it out like it's the architectural drawing and then poof, all of a sudden you've got reality. Didn't you take some architectural classes? I did. I was actually trained as a landscape architect for a little bit before I switched to urban planning and other and finance and other things. But uh, yeah, I did. It's pretty cool. So is it finally warming up or cooling down in the Bay Area? Well, it is, but it isn't. Um, uh, yes, and the reason I say that is because the mornings have been quite chilly, and the, it does, it's getting up in the mid-80s in the afternoon now, so it's really quite nice. But we had probably one of the coldest summers we've had in a long time. But that really? has not been your case, right? You, um, you had a nice warm summer? No, it seems like... The Midwest out here and the southern states like Texas, they definitely got a lot of extreme heat. We pegged 100 a couple of times this summer, which isn't unusual, but it's not typically normal to go mm-hmm. up over 100 a couple of times. But, yeah, we had a consistent week or two. I want to say that was that was 90 to 95, which is which is um, pr- pretty favorably warm. We usually hit that a few times and it jumps back down to high 80s. But this week isn't bad. Yesterday I got up to 80, and I think it's going to be 70 and overcast most of the week now. So it'll be getting closer to what we feel like fall. So everyone's kind of getting excited now. Hopefully the leaves will change in in a month or so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, weather in general this year has been kind of crazy worldwide. I don't know if we can attribute it to global warming or whatever. But between the the, the fires in Canada and Greece and the floods in Libya that they're having right now and all that, it's um, – there's a lot of people who are really not doing very well because of all that. Yeah, it's too bad. I don't like to see that happening. There was right. that wasn't a big fire in Hawaii. Yes, uh, Maui. That's right. That's another thing. I'd forgotten all about that. That's uh, was That's huge. closer to home. A, a closer to home, and a good friend of mine who runs a property management company was was just about ready 
to uh, buy a company that manages over 150 homes in Maui. And uh, he was supposed to sign all the documents um, the day after the fire. And uh, every house that he was going to manage burnt down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is crazy timing right there, huh? It is. Right on. Well, today we are going to be discussing a topic that you and I have always had offline conversations about, but we thought it would be interesting to bring kind of on air today. And that is kind of what reality is when you are a fully active note investor. And so, Richard, I just want to probably start us down a conversation here and and start by saying that when I got into this real estate note investing business, um, I obviously didn't have a large bankroll. I didn't didn't have much money. I had, you know, some retirement savings and a little bit of cash. So I couldn't go out and buy a lot of loans. I could could just buy a couple of small ones. And so then, then I kind of run out of money quickly. And my option really is the only way I can make more money is to somehow be some sort of facilitator to where I can find deals and I can find people who need deals and kind of merge the two together and, and add some sort of value in between to make it easier for that that buyer and that seller uh, to make kind of a fee income. On the other hand, if, if somebody has, you know, a lot of money they want to invest in and they want to learn this craft, it's, it's uh, becomes a little bit of an easier segue to get into it and become a fully active note investor. So, um, but there are some other challenges to it. So what, what's your initial thought? Well, um, I think when we initially talked about this, I think you and I both looked at notes coming from different backgrounds and, and uh, different levels of expertise and said, you know, the best way to make this work is to jump into it whole hog. So let's quit our day job um, and uh, jump in with, with both feet. I mean, there may be in a couple of a months or six months or something like that, but, but basically the intent was to get in whole hog. Uh, which meant that you're going to be buying and investing and you had to get to know people and you had to, um, if you wanted to, the traditional line people talk about is uh, where you get in, you broker notes and you make money brokering notes and then um, you move forward from there. you got more money in your pocket and you can move forward. And that's a good thing. And that's a, a regular way to do it. Um, but the reality I think is that you um, have to look at the yields that you're getting. And once you get into a business full time, you've got a lot of expenses that you ordinarily wouldn't have. What are you're you're going through that right now and sort of um, looking at some of what we have, what are, what is, what are some of the things that you see are nickel and diming us in, in our business? Well, there's just a lot of things that I think all of us just as consumers and as, as business leaders for our companies, we tend to, to end up getting too many subscription models that we don't really need. And maybe at the time it made sense and we it sounded like, oh, that cost can be absorbed because we make enough money or maybe we don't make enough money. And, and then when you start getting granular with the monthly cash flows that are coming in and, and the expenses that are going out and the liabilities you have to pay, you start, you start to see some things get, get out of line. And so it's pretty, it's pretty easy to get out of bounds. I'll say with subscriptions, I'm talking about like, you know, subscriptions to things that you need, like maybe some sort of reporting or 
some sort of CRM you have or, you know, um, a subscription for access to certain things that we may need to use. And sometimes they're just kind of nice to have, but you can live without them. And so that's that's when we have to decide, you know, can we can we really sustain that? And so when you run a business as a note business, you really have to make sure that you understand your expenses because this is a cash flow business, right? We are not traditionally flipping loans as a full business model. We are kind of holding the notes for the cash flow. So then our yield, as, as you mentioned before, needs to be a little bit higher than if I was just investing in my retirement account and it was just my money and there was really no, essentially no expenses or no overhead with it because it's just my retirement account. When you're running a business, obviously you have, you have many other, other expenses as expenses, just like running any business in general, like a restaurant or uh, a brick and mortar store, um, you know, just, just stuff like that. So I, I think it becomes, it becomes really challenging, Richard, to be honest with you. It's, it's not, I think very few people make the opportunity to have their note business be a really thriving business. Uh, a lot of times, like any other entrepreneur endeavor that someone would go down, it, you, it becomes a numbers game. Like it is a, there's a low chance of success because of all the hurdles you have to go around and go through. And it's really a three headed monster, Richard, like with you managing marketing, um, that, that's a whole beast in itself, you know, and, and including in that is also social media, which is a whole nother avenue of challenges to try to get your content across versus other competitors, so to speak, that are in the same market. Cause our, our market is the United States, which is every note investors market is the United States, right? Right. <laughs> Nobody is advertising specifically for like a city because it's just so hard to get inventory for a specific region. Um, right. So that's why we're more broad, broad focused of marketing. Right. So let's, let's give everybody a little bit of context here. Um, Cause Without getting specifics, uh, you could walk away from a with this with a very different attitude. So what we're talking about is you're right, a CRM. Maybe you have Zoho. Maybe you have, you know, the the watered down Salesforce or or, or whatever CRM, and you cost two hundred dollars a month for that. And you've got DocuSign, and that costs fifty dollars a month. And you've got you know whatever else those little things that you you have to have, and all of a sudden you turn around. And you're spending two thousand dollars a month on this this kind of stuff, and if you are like me, so I had going into the pandemic, I had I had a bunch of notes, and I sold a whole lot of my inventory off because people wanted. To, I thought I was going to get hammered in the pandemic. You and I have talked about this, and it turns out it was one of the best sales transaction times that I could ever had. Yeah, you know, in the first first year. Uh, you know, I sold um, two thirds of my portfolio. So right now, you know, I've only got about 35 notes left. Um, and I am very much concerned with, and even though we're running A and B, I'm not doing advertising for my old company or anything like that. I've just got an accountant that's keeping me, you know, my, my uh, average 15% uh, yield that I was getting is coming in around 10%. And I'm going, well, uh, gosh, you know, um, that's not really what I got into this for. Whereas if I, and that's, so that's my day to day, uh, that's income. If I, if I had another job, a day job, something like that, wasn't doing 
didn't have all the advertising. We didn't have a CRM, didn't have a whatever. And I was just doing this on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, my results would be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like, once you get into this business, you really, you really have to, you really have to make a dent pretty quickly, I think, uh, to sustain it because some people, I would say most people now don't get into this full time right away. I think they have to build towards it. So they maybe have, maybe have a really good full time job. Maybe they're an attorney or a dentist, or maybe they're uh, some sort of have a legal profession to where they have, you know, some disposable income that they can invest in. And then they're just trying to build that up and, and understand how it works. And I, I think that's a really good model to get into, to build your way towards it. But just to jump in uh, whole hog, as, as you said earlier, um, <clears throat> that, that is more difficult and, and there's a low probability, you know, get getting out and, and making the money because there's so many unique hurdles to go through that even though you and I have both been through that part of the business and started our own businesses before we combine this one, um, it's it's not for everybody, I guess I would say. And it's it's just very it's very difficult because. I couldn't write a book and tell you exactly the blueprint that I did. It may not work for you and you could write a book and have your blueprint on how you did it. And it may not work for somebody else either. There's no, there's no like magic, magic way that this works. If you have a franchise, right? If you're part of a franchise and franchisee, then you have a blueprint that is proven and it does work because and it works in any market because they had it figured out and they've done it in so many different places. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I can think of uh, several people that I've bought and sold notes with and um, they're doing notes on the side and it's actually, um, what's a, what's a, a good term? It, it actually um, helps out their practice. So they're a real estate broker or they're a property manager or they're, they're right. dealing in something that's real estate oriented already. It's so, a compliment. It's compliments. That's your, yeah. that's, that's a good way to do it. Thank you. Um, so uh, it's complimentary as they're, 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 they don't have to advertise. They're maybe doing it through a self-directed IRA, things like that. That sort of takes care of the accounting uh, portion of it right there. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not having to have a, an extra accountant and do all sort of tax reporting. Um that's a great way to do it. And that's a good way to build up, I think, a sizable portfolio and not have the headaches that uh, you do running a regular day-to-day -day business. Yeah. Yeah. The day-to-day -day is, is um, it's not passive what we do. We're, we're full, fully active note investors making passive income, but we are not passive in the business, if, if I can say that. So we're kind of actively passive. <laughs> yeah. And, and until you get up to, until you get up to like, you know, probably a hundred notes or something like that in your portfolio, if you're, if you're in, in your terms, of just buying them and holding them and uh, uh, taking the yield off of that at, at today's yields, you know, when uh, 10 years ago, when you could buy a performing note at 18 to 25% yield, it was a whole lot easier to make the numbers work. But at today's day's yields where we're buying things um, with a lot less return, uh, you have to have a lot more notes in your portfolio and therefore a lot more of your own capital in it before yeah. you're going to make things work. Yeah, the, vo the volume helps. It definitely yeah. helps so, with the cash flow. And it can yeah. absorb, absorb a little bit of a loss too. Yeah. So in, in my instance, um, I sold a whole lot of partials up front. And that was great. 
because I got to, you know, I had a quick turn model. I, uh, my goal, although I seldom made it, made it was to sell, um, to turn my money over three times in a, in a year with, with one note. So I'd buy a note for 40,000, sell a partial on it, basically sell out of that, take that same 40, buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. I, I made two times quite often, but it was three was, was tough. Yeah. That's great. But I had to do to, to cover my nut on that. I had to do 10 year partials for the most part. So it's not going to be probably another two or three years before I start to see any of that income reverting back to me Mm -hmm. on those partials that I sold. Um, If you look at it on a yield basis, it's a great yield. I don't have anything in it, but um, I kind of don't have any income for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a chance you take, right? And depending on where you're at in your life cycle, uh, that may be a good decision for you. Or it may you may need to accelerate that and get the money sooner, or you can wait twenty or twenty five years, to, just depending on how old you are and where you're at and what you need to do. So I, I guess, Richard, what what we're trying to get to the to the point on this is that um, you know if you're getting into this business and you have a large amount of disposable income, we're talking you know uh, uh, several hundred thousand dollars to you know in the millions then getting into it full time right away is is not as big of a challenge as it is if you really don't have the capital or the resources for it um, because the challenges of flipping a loan or what we call brokering a loan uh, like you mentioned before the margins are a little bit thinner than they used to be so it's harder to sustain a velocity model you have to do a lot of those transactions to really make a good living uh, as opposed to you know eight years ago when you can do that and you, you didn't have to flip that many loans and you can make a really good living because the margins were, were much greater, much sweeter. So getting into this business, if you have money, that's, that's a great way to be active quickly. But if you don't, it's, it's probably is best for you to, you know, keep your part-time or full-time job and then kind of doing this on the side to build towards it. Um, because I, I agree with what you said, Richard, it does take away more time that you have outside of like your W2 job. But if you're able to do this, this work part-time, you can, you can make some good money. You just don't get a lot of return on your time because you have to work a little bit harder, you know, uh, on a part-time basis with this, with this right. lifestyle. Right. And so I think something else we wanted to talk about a little bit today was maybe land contracts and the use of land contracts. Did you want to bring that up or not? Since you brought it up, I guess we have to. Uh-oh, I guess we have to. Okay. <laughs> um, land, land contracts, we, in our fund, I think we we may have one land contract. I think everything else is pretty much a note deed of trust or note and mortgage, depending on what state it's in. In my personal portfolio, I only have a handful of land contracts left. Um, I've either converted them to note and mortgages or I have just sold them off because people had needed good cash flowing assets and they just have me land contracts. I continue to get notices from the counties, even though I have sold those assets months or years ago because the counties are so slow to update information and you can have the new buyer call into the county and kind of update the records of where to send the statements to. But at the end of the day, it's if you can avoid doing a contract for deed or land contract, it's going to be a lot better for everybody involved if you don't do that. 
there are certain instances where you would want to do a contract for deed slash land contract. And that would be more or less when you're wrapping a mortgage, meaning Richard has a mortgage on this investment property and he wants to resell that property on a land contract. So the Richard would stay on the deed and then he wouldn't trigger a due on sale clause. Those would be appropriate reasons why you would want to do a land contract. But outside of that, I know you're on the same side of the story as me and I'll, I'll let you chime in, but I'm definitely not choosing to do a land contract. Yeah. So I think um, a lot of people out there would say, gee, I don't see any reason to, to uh, change from one, but I've run across uh, two reasons uh, lately um, to, <laughs> to get out of them. Uh, one is, is that I'm getting, as you said, constant notices from the County and things like that about, Hey, you know, you've got a trailer parked in your front yard. Um, I'm in California and that front yard happens to be in Ohio. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, minor things like that. That's, that's more of a nuisance, but um, it comes down to title. Uh, I, I just lost a sale on one property. My my uh, borrower said, hey, look, I'd like to sell. Uh, and they, we got to the title company, and the title company said, I'm not touching this. Uh, we're not going to do this at all. Uh, you know, we really don't consider this to be a, a clean deal. It's a cloud on title. So um, basically go out and uh, convert it to a note and mortgage. Uh, before we um, before we even look at it, uh, and if you, you know, are in any sort of time constraint to sell, that's just something you don't want to deal with. How, how much does it cost, and how long is it taking you to convert most of those that you have, Justin? I mean, it depends on the state that you're in, but I'd say anywhere from probably six hundred to sixteen hundred dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got mm, I don't know how many land contracts I've got more than I should. Uh, but I'm going to go about converting all of those, I think, uh, just because I don't want to run into any more problems yeah. like this. And, and I know that sounds like a lot of money, but in all actuality, you know, this is a conversation that we would have with the borrower and we would lay out all the pluses for them. Right. Like, right. look, your situation now, you are not on the deed. Are you aware of that? And maybe like, no, I'm not. Well, if you want to be on the deed, this is a way to get you on the deed. We can ensure the title right now to make sure that it's clean of any, you know, encumbrances. And then we can also get a policy that guarantees that the lien is, is there and that your lien um, is, is valid and active. And it gives you more protection and it gives us more protection. And so when you go and sell the property, you're not going to have these title companies that are going to push back and say, wait a minute, this is a foreign object to us. We don't understand it. So we're just not going to move forward with it. So, so oftentimes I've gotten the borrowers to come forward and actually help pay for some of the costs as well. You know, I'll pay for like the title policy because that's a general thing a, a seller would do for a buyer. But everything else, you know, is something they would they would pay for. You know, re recording the deed, the split split the cost of generating the the note and mortgage. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of that's kind of my answer to your question on the cost and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, that's what I I I came from the school of no, it doesn't make any difference, and I've slowly come around to saying. Yes, it does. <laughs> so we just, we just bring that up to, to listeners. To uh, It does when you have many of them. Yeah. If you just have one or two, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, of course, go ahead and change it and convert it. You know, it's 
when you have many of these like Richard and I do, it, it becomes a real nuisance right <laughs> getting all the notices and everything because you at first when you get a notice from a county you're thinking oh god what happened what do i owe on this one you think of it like a bill that you're getting that you're just not happy about and it turns out it's usually just just some sort of notice that says hey the taxes are due and this is what the assessment is on it or sometimes it is a bad thing where it's hey there's a camper in the yard that's not supposed to be there and we're going to charge you 350 dollars uh, to you and you're the deeded owner. <laughs> right. Good luck trying to explain to the county that it's a land contract and you don't really own it, but you do. <laughs> yeah. So one issue, one uh, property I had in um, Missouri, uh, the owner triggered. Actually, here's what happened. The, the county got wind of the land con- contract and, and a, they said that he was a tenant living in the property. And I said, no, he's not a tenant. He's the owner. So no, no, as far as we're concerned, he's a tenant. Well, as soon as he was a tenant, that triggered the uh, landlord um, lease laws yep. there. And they had to do a property inspection. Well, they had to do a property inspection. And guess what? They found four or $5,000 worth of items that need to be taken care of in the house to make it fit for what they considered to be occupancy by a tenant. You know, none of them, they were, they were just fine things. They were, they were, they were small things, but they were gotchas. So all of a sudden, he's saddled with five or six thousand dollars, and just you can imagine the amount of time that I had to spend on that and going back and forth and explaining it and blah blah blah. blah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's endless, endless. Yeah. A lot it's of fun. Endless. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. do a mortgage, do a deed of trust. Yeah. Whatever. It's simple. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't cost anything different. Yeah. Yeah, you get no advantages. Anybody listening to this or watching this, you get no advantages having a contract for the land contract. You can't tell me that you can evict them if they don't make their first payment. It doesn't work like you think. A lot of judges do not like land contracts, and so they will make you foreclose on them as if it was a note and mortgage, anyways. Yeah, even though your paperwork says otherwise, you still, uh, in a lot of cases, have to handle it as if it were a. No mortgage. Yep. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks, Richard, for joining us again. This is episode number 19, season five of the Be The Bank podcast. You can check Have out we run out YouTube. of time again? We've run out of time. Oh, my God. Yeah, no more fun, man. Oh, check man. out our YouTube channel, American Note Buyers YouTube channel. You can check out the video feed in our monthly broadcast that we do live, uh, which by the time this airs, we would already have it. So I guess you'll miss it, but you can watch the replay if you go to our YouTube channel. What mm-hmm. that? We have a cool case study with Mr. Drew Shepard. He's one of our um, uh, learning uh, mentees here and in his apprenticeship. And so he's got a cool little case study, and I think you guys will enjoy it. So watch the replay of that if you didn't get a chance to watch it live. Until then, I'm Justin Bogard. This is Richard Thornton, and we will see you guys next time. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by American Note Buyers. Thanks again for listening.